everybody to the Help Hip Dysplasia podcast. I'm your host, Laura McGeary, and today I have the privilege of welcoming to you Kaylee Wheatley. Hi, Kaylee. Hi, how are you? Good, thank you very much. Thanks so much for coming on and joining us. Um, I just want to also thank everybody else that's responded to the post that I put out on Instagram recently asking for people to share their stories. I've been really overwhelmed with everybody that's brought back comments and asked to be involved so thank you Kaylee for being one of the first people to get back to me that's really really amazing to have so much support so um the reason behind getting all of you guys on here is just because again I just love to hear people's stories I know that there weren't a lot of people around when I was going through mine to know of other people's stories and have that support so so hopefully we can get to know you a little bit better today um, and again increase your support yeah. and help other people around us so um Kaylee what's your story how did you find out about hip dysplasia and when um, did it since when I was a baby um I'm 33 so this was back in the 80s and my mum told me when she took me for a check they could hear an audible click in mm -hmm. both of my hips so they told her to put me in double nappies. So all my baby pictures, I've got a really big bum. <laughs> <laughs> so my mum would cover me up in big dresses. And um, my mum always tells me that I hit all my milestones. I was walking fine. I had a brace for a little while. Um, and it never really bothered me, really. I just, it was always my clicky, my clicky hip. Um, it began to, I would struggle with like, primary school with PE and like sitting on the hard floor for assemblies and things you mean like the cross-legged positions yeah like sitting I never could sit cross-legged it was always really frustrating mm -hmm. so I'd always sit mm -hmm. with my legs out at the end or and with PE because I wasn't overly confident with sports anyway that didn't help so I was always a bit reluctant to run because it just felt like the only way I can describe it is it didn't feel right when I ran mm -hmm. um so you, you want any pain with it um, I would call it growing pains. That's mm. what it would feel like. It would feel like my whole leg needed to be stretched out. And then I was quite lucky throughout my teens that I never had any problems, really. Um, it wasn't until I started my nurse training when I was, let me think, I was about 22, 21. And that's when the pain really began to hurt. And I thought to myself, this, this isn't right. Not every 20-year-old has this problem. And mm -hmm. I began walking with a limp quite prominently. And that's base. And then that was it, really. <laughs> so you managed to get all the way to 22 before anything was sort of really taking enough impact on your life to get something sorted or get asked some questions about it? Yeah, it got to the point where I used to struggle at work. I would always, like... Um, I would always have to ask to sit down. I was taking painkillers like paracetamol quite regularly. Um, so I had an MRI, which then showed I had hip dysplasia. So that's what my clicky hip was. And that gave me a little bit of closure on that. Yeah. So I got referred to a consultant from there who suggested to me, I think I was about 23 at this point, 24, to have uh, a PAO where yeah. they put the screws in um and that terrified me because I was just on the cusp of graduating to be a nurse um it just wasn't the right time in my life to have that surgery um mm. I wanted to buy my house I wanted to go on holiday I wanted to get married 
It's an exciting time, isn't it? Your early 20s. There's a lot going on emotionally and physically. Yeah. I was like, it just felt like I got to this point and now it was going to, you know, this surgeon was kind of like, yep, it's going to take you off your feet for six months and you're going to have a lot of rehab. And it really scared me. So I did a bit of research on it and asked like a couple of doctors at work. And the general idea I got was if you can carry on, then carry on. So that's what I did. Probably in hindsight, that was not the best idea. When you say to carry on and that that wasn't the best idea, what do you mean? um, I wanted to carry on and I kind of like pushed it in the back of my head. Um, I didn't tell anybody. Um, My husband knew, my mum and dad knew. If anybody asked why I was walking with a limp, I would often give an answer like, oh, a bear bit me or a shark bit me or something. I was was just, I, I was really embarrassed by it a little bit um is this I just didn't want people to know pardon is this after the PAO surgery and that, this was like I just didn't have the PAO I, I did some research on it and I was I, I think partly 50% I was scared and 50% I just didn't like the idea of it and I thought if I can if I can do one year of being a nurse then I'll have the surgery and that's what I kept mm-hmm. doing but life then just kept happening and um, I, I had a full hip replacement in December 2018 when I was 33. Right, okay, fine. So you, you missed out that stage. I mean, there are many, many people that have had the POs that later on in life end up having the hip replacement. In yeah. addition, um, not everybody, obviously, but there are um, quite a few out there that end up having the hip replacement anyway. So do you feel sort of better having sort of skipped that step or is that something you feel more confident with knowing that you'd had that information perhaps that support from the consultants doctors and other nurses around you um I felt like if I had a little bit more information about the PAO um maybe that I joined more hip dysplasia groups and got some more information I think I probably would have had the PAO and my life would be a lot different um I really struggled in the last two years before my hip replacement um my health went downhill really quickly um i i stopped being able to drive i was off sick work a lot it really really affected my mental health more than i realized um i wish that instagram was a little bit more bigger when i found out about the pa because there was so much support on there and so much information but at the time all i could find was nothing really it was just like a couple of people going yeah I had the PAO and it wasn't great and other people going I wish I never had this surgery and when you're you're 23 24 you're a bit like oh I don't want to do this (laughs) yeah I I think it's quite an intimidating thing to hear about if you if you know you've got that surgery potentially coming up and there's not really other people to speak to about that you can compare stories and and if the only things that you've really heard are intimidating or sort of a bit scary then you can yeah the way they described it was terrifying like we're going to break part of your hip and your pelvis we're going to put some screws in and then you won't be able to walk for a little while and that that was terrifying and still now I find it terrifying I'm like but I wish I if looking back I wish I had a little bit more support and I probably would have done the PAO um because I struggled so much with my hip um so when you say you struggled with it, um, obviously you said that you were in a lot of pain um, yeah. and that you were not having to take a lot of medication, time off work. Um, where was the pain that you were getting um, 
it was, was it always down the front of my leg. Yeah. I always get, I always got a pain down the front of my thigh, in my groin, and the outside of my thigh. Um, I some days when the pain was that bad, I could not touch the outside of my thigh. It was like here, it just, it felt like it was sticking out. Um, so I read online that some people had pain underneath their buttocks or mm-hmm. right in their groin. But I never really had that. It was always kind of like in my hip, down my thighs. So that that was my pain. <laughs> okay. Um, and you said you ended up having to take a bit of time off work. So did that start affecting your job? Yeah. I, I didn't tell anybody at work about it. Um, my, basically, I'm a nurse. I work in critical care. And I had my son in 2017. Um, and I started back at work and it just wasn't working. It, I was, nurses work like a 13 hour day. So I'd leave the house at six in the morning, get home at eight at night and the pain would be unbearable. I'd be really struggling. And my son at the time, he had just started to learn how to walk and then he would start, and then he started to learn how to run. Oh. And it got to the point where I couldn't <laughs> keep up with him. I couldn't look after him. I couldn't continue on at work. Um, I basically, um, I went to see my consultant and I, wa- I was having hip injections every six months. The steroid ones? The corticosteroid ones? Yeah, the steroid mm-hmm. ones. Mm-hmm. They, they would give me relief for around about a month, but it got to the point that they weren't working. And it's, I took my mum with me for moral support and also to hold on to my son. And in this appointment, the consultant said to me, you need to have a long, hard think about what you're going to do with the rest of your life. And I just was like, what, what do you mean? It's quite he was like, <laughs> yeah, he just pointed at my x-ray and looked at me and my mum and went, you, you can't carry on like this. You can't carry on like this. You, I'm going to sign you off work for two weeks and you need to have a think about what you're going to do. And that hit me like a tent on truck I was a bit like oh there is something wrong with me and I cannot carry on being a nurse and being a mum being a wife I can't continue on like this and because I'm stubborn and stupid for a little while I was I was going to my husband well I'm gonna go back to work after two weeks I'm gonna go back to work and me and my son were walking and he was running and I couldn't catch up with him. And I just thought to myself, screw this. I'm going to have a hip replacement. Why not? <laughs> I, I literally, it was like that. And I rang my consultant secretary and went, can I see him as soon as possible? And when I got, when I went for that appointment, it was a different, it was like a local consultant. And he was like, no, you can't have it. You're too young. And I burst into tears. Like, I'm not an emotional person like that. And I just cried. And I just was going, how am I meant to carry on? How am I meant to be a nurse? Being a nurse is everything that I've ever been. And now I'm a mum and he's starting to learn how to walk. And I can't do this. And this consultant went, let me go and have a word with another doctor. And I thought to myself, he's going to say, no, I'm back at square one. And within a minute, he came back in and was like, yeah, you can have your hip replacement. And oh, I had, I had my replacement. Huge relief. Is that, is that something that they had offered to you then before, but because it was a different consultant, they had sort of gone back to square one? Or is that something that hadn't been discussed, but there was something that you hoped was an option? 
Um, it'd never been discussed, but I hoped it was an option. I'd worked in orthopedics and mm -hmm. I'd never seen somebody as young as me have a hip replacement. So yeah, and when I asked doctors it. about it, like kind of coyly, like, oh, would you ever do it on a young person? The answer was always like, depends on the circumstances. Mm -hmm. um, and I had read on forums and read in nursing journals about the recovery time of a hip replacement. And I thought to myself, this seems better than the PAO. That was my opinion. Mm -hmm. And in that time in my life that um, having a child and um, not living at home and, you know, looking at essentially being an independent grown up, <laughs> you know, a hip replacement was a suitable option. So the consult, um, I'd had, I've had about four or five consultants because obviously moving areas and different hospitals mm -hmm. and things. My consultant was always really supportive and really understanding with my scenario and he was always like your hip replacement will be the last case scenario let's try everything else and I felt like I did I yeah. had the steroid injections I had physio I ignored it <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, the replacement had to happen <laughs> so you say you ignored the physio um was that like the exercise just, I mean your life sounds incredibly hectic incredibly yeah. busy um, there's lots going on yeah. um so was it just that there wasn't sort of really time um to to give that the focus that it that it needed was that yeah when I was a kid I had physio and it really really helped a lot as I got older um when I, I would go for the physio appointment they would give me um they would give me the exercises but then it would fall by the wayside um for a little while I had a uh, hydrotherapy Mm -hmm. um, which really worked and was wonderful and it helped the aches and pains but it felt like nothing ever took the pain away it would ease it for a little while but nothing uh, it, it kind of went over the 10 years from a pain that happened now and then to 24 hours full-on pain mm -hmm. um, it, we went to Disney on my honeymoon we, we got married over in Florida and oh, it sounds like so much fun yeah well I remember being in Magic Kingdom and the pain was that bad I pretty much had to hop back to the car because I couldn't put my foot to the ground oh, and it, it just after that every, my husband would go how bad is your pain on scale to zero to Magic Kingdom pain and I'd be like oh it's about a six it's no way Magic <laughs> Kingdom and then towards the past year before my hip replacement I was like it's Magic Kingdom all day long and it that that ruined that just ruined it really and it was a that was also like it made having huge massive surgery an easy decision i was Absolutely. like you knew you tried everything right you knew yeah you knew conservative management you tried injections you'd really given it the time to ha make that decision knowing yeah. all your risk benefit ratios to know exactly what you were getting yourself in for and make that informed decision um so they had like you said that became an easy easy decision. yeah definitely easy Okay, so you had the hip replacement in December last last year. Yeah, yeah, yep. last year. So we're now about nine months down the road. Yes. Yeah, and how are you getting on? My life is amazing. Oh, that's so good to hear. <laughs> I I go to my patients now who come through to me who've had hip replacements. I go, you know what? Right now you hate your surgeon and you're frustrated and you're in pain, but trust me, it's going to get better and life is going to be amazing and they're like is it and I'm like yeah yeah it honestly is like 
I was always out of me and my husband he was always the hands-on parent like if if my son wanted to go and climb something or run across the park it would be my husband who went and did it and I would just stand back because I couldn't do it and about I think it was about two months after my surgery we went to a big soft play near where we lived and I, I said to my husband I'm gonna do it I'm, I'm gonna go in there and yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go and play and he was like let me know how you get on he was like if you struggle just wave at me and I'll come and rescue you and like somewhere in uh, a soft play in Nottingham on this like huge third floor in a ball pit I just cried with happiness with my son I was like I can chase you and I can climb this ladder and I can swing on the swing with you and like honestly I can't put into words like how much that meant like all the pain that I had and having the surgery and being terrified of the surgery because I was so far away from home because they couldn't do it near where I lived mm-hmm. and being poorly afterwards and it it didn't matter because now I can I can run up the stairs and you I can, can chase after my son and I can ride a bike again and I can go swimming and it's like the best Christmas present that I never realized that I wanted that you, <laughs> you know to every day <laughs> yeah it's just it's it is incredible incredible I'm so so happy to and I'm sure there are so many other people that will hopefully be listening to this that will uh will hear that story hear about the way that you were feeling beforehand the difficult decisions um that needed to be made then the easy decision that was made with the surgery knowing how you feel now and how you're feeling every day and how this has transformed your life yeah my mental health was appalling before the surgery I never realized how depressed I was until afterwards like after the recovery and being able to walk and being able to drive again and be independent I was like god I was so low I never realized I'm so much happier now and I enjoy being at work I don't dread going oh god I've got a whole day I'm like bring it on that's what chaos can we get today and and look, yeah, I'm really, really happy with my life at this moment in time. <laughs> and that is the best thing to be able to hear. Yeah. Do, you, um, do you have any things that you still need to do? Do you still have any residual physio exercises or anything that you're still doing to keep yourself as strong and healthy as you can now that you've had your surgery and you're in this situation? Um, I look after myself a little bit more. Um, like, I eat properly now. <laughs> and like, oh, I'm really yeah no I think because with like I just felt so low I just didn't look after myself I put all my effort into looking after my son Teddy I didn't look after me so I eat better now I got walking all the time um with physio wise um I had a few exercises um but not that much the physios in the hospital where I had it they kind of a bit like you're so young we don't quite know what's what physio to give you it was I had a few questions that they were unable to answer because they went mm-hmm. well the normal hip replacements we get those people in their 70s and 80s and you're asking questions for somebody in their 30s like I was going when can I swim again when can I drive uh, when can I have sex again <laughs> you know all those yeah, questions all really important questions yeah. to ask yeah no one well, I remember asking my physio that and she was like I, I don't have an answer I was like oh well could you find out for me and she was like 
I don't know if I can. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. So now that was a lot of uh, awkward research on the internet. <laughs> Yeah. Did you know there's a book out um, called Sex with These Hips? Have you seen that? Yeah, it was on the it was on the BBC Disability podcast. I saw it and I, oh, <laughs> I couldn't stop laughing. I was like, I'm so pleased that other people had these conversations. Yeah, exactly. And um, but I suppose now with with social media and with um, the way that everybody communicates differently now, hopefully these things are being discussed more. It is easier to access people to have these conversations. And yeah, definitely. Yeah, that book is definitely on my list to buy. I haven't got it yet, but I'm looking forward. To yeah. It. <laughs> Um, so just briefly going back to the to the physio issue there, this is really the reason that I am so inspired to try and get this community together and talking because I yep. had exactly the same situation with mine. You know, I was told that, okay, well, all our physio requirements are is to get you walking again and then yep. your body will take care of itself because you're so young. Um, so I was 10 when I had mine done. So um, yeah, really just as soon as I was walking and could do stairs, that was, that was it. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. And in, you know, I'm obviously very grateful because it's inspired me to want to be a physio and to, to do the career that I now absolutely adore. But I now know there are so many other things that could have been so useful to know when I was younger that would have stopped me having some of the issues that I have now. Yeah. So yeah, it's just definitely, definitely something that if we can raise the awareness and if there are any other physios nurses doctors consultants out there listening to this then even if it's something that you might not be able to to help with directly please know that there are other people out there that may have the experience to be able to to help people so yeah share and share and share your stories yeah, definitely. These messages out there <laughs> um, if you if you did have to pick one tip through your rehabilitation that was the most the, the most prominent, the one that made the biggest difference to you in terms of an exercise or a habit or a tip for people, um, what would you say? Um, I, I was really low after my surgery. I told my consultant that I hated him for around about four days because I was so frustrated that I couldn't get up and down the stairs quick enough and I couldn't get mm. in and out of bed. And I, I wish pre-surgery me had written a post-surgery me a note just saying, it's going to get better just relax <laughs> because I never did <laughs> I was constantly trying to get up or trying to wash my hair or do something stupid which as my husband would say but just be patient and it will get better and you won't realize that it's got better until you have like in a moment like I did where I was like oh my god I can be a mum in a soft play like you might just realize you bend down to pick up your washing and you can do that now or you can get up the stairs quickly and you think oh god it was all worth it it was all worth it so just be patient with yourself because some people aren't I know I'm not (laughs) (laughs) um there is something that you've mentioned that I would like to go back to um if you're happy to talk about it you said that obviously you've got a son now yeah um, I wondered whether you've had any experience with um, his hips and um, whether he's got a diagnosis or whether he was free of one and just how it's been dealing with having a child um, in your situation as well yeah I was um really really worried throughout the whole pregnancy that he would have hip dysplasia um he was a really big baby born as well um, he was 11 pounds and he was really long <laughs> and he, he was, oh, wow. I had a section, 
Yeah, I know. He, he like, came out, like, three months old, I swear to God. Um, I, the one thing that I was really upset by is that we, both me and my husband, really had to push to get the um, hip scan, the ultrasound mm-hmm. scan. We really, really had to push for it. Um, people, I think he had, like, a hip check at home. I can't remember how old he was. It's all a blur now. And the health visitor was like, yeah, he's fine. I said, yeah, he could be fine, but I don't, I don't know if he is, you know, I really want the scan. Um, and I think in the end I got referred to pediatrics. Um, and he had the scan and he's been told he's absolutely fine. And he gets another scan. I think when he's a little bit older, he's two now, two and a bit, Mm -hmm. but he's been walking fine. He shows no sign of issues. I know that um, hip dysplasia is more prominent in girls than boys, mm-hmm. but it's not unheard of in boys. No, like I signed the little thing on a web on the um, government website that the hip ultrasounds are compulsory after babies are born because I think it's so important that babies and little people don't have to go through everything that I went through and other children have gone through without being diagnosed correctly. So I was a bit upset that I had to really push for that ultrasound with ultrasound scan with him, but everything is okay with him. I'm really, really glad to hear. Yeah. That. Um, so it, obviously, this is quite a big issue at the moment. It's um, all over the radio, and there's news articles about hip dysplasia and the um, incidents of people being diagnosed and people being missed. It's um, it's really, really heavy in the press right now. So yeah. again, knowing your story and your experience of it. Um, again hopefully people hearing that will know that it's okay to push for it and it oh, is yeah. that we know we want to to push for there are a lot of people that get missed unfortunately and um mm. yeah we would love to see those those rates go down of people that are missed that would obviously oh, definitely be, um you know because the the way forwards if people are caught early enough to get put in the public harnesses to be in the casts and to then have potentially no issues later on in life. You know, yep. in a similar story to yours, my, I've got a little sister and um, I was obviously diagnosed obviously a bit too late, but my little sister was found um, early enough and she was told that there were no problems either. But because yep. again, my mum had the confidence like you did to, to push and ask for the scans and to get that forwards, it was, she was positive and she did have um, hip dysplasia. But again, yeah. she was found enough, so she got treated early enough with the conventional methods, and she has never struggled since. Um, so, yeah, hopefully we can push forwards with that a little bit more. So, um, Definitely. There was on the radio this week, I think on Radio 4, there was an episode that I want to go back and find. I've been told about it this week, so I'll go back and have a look and see if we can post that um, yeah. and get that news out there as well. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah, so... I mean, it's been incredible to hear your story and I would absolutely love for us all to be able to keep in touch with you and continue to follow your journey and help continue to raise awareness. So your Instagram name, I believe, is Kiki of Horror. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, please feel free to follow Kiki on Instagram and continue to support her journey. And um, yeah, thank you so much again for coming in. Um, Thank you. um, Hopefully very soon. Yep. Take care.